invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. <laughs> Acts <clears throat> chapter 26. Starting at verse 15. Acts chapter 6. Excuse me. Acts chapter 26. Starting at verse 15. And going through 18. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending them to you. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I don't know if you've ever been uh, driving in the car <clears throat> and all of a sudden someone says, oh, hold it, stop. I, I think, stop and back up. I think I saw something back there. Well, that's kind of what we're doing this morning. Last week we kind of breezed through chapters 25 and 26. It was a pretty long story. And what we're going to do is we're going to stop the car and we're going to back up. And we're going to stop at this little section in, in chapter 26 because these are some very, very important words. They're very powerful words. They're very encouraging words. And so I'd like us to go back and we're going to stop the car and get out and just look around a little bit this morning. Uh, you know, on January 4th of this year, the largest lottery ever won was uh, won by a couple. Uh, I think they were out in, yeah, Washington couple. $360 million in a lottery ticket. You know, what we're talking about this morning, you know, if you're a Christian this morning, and what we're going to talk about in these verses, what you have received from God, you, you can't even compare. Um, <clears throat> $360 million is nothing compared to what God has given you. And so, I, you know, I, I, it's kind of hard for us to... to <clears throat> grasp that because, you know, if, if I gave you this message or I handed you a check for $360 million this morning, which would you be more excited about? I mean, that'd be a challenge, wouldn't it? Somewhere in our brains here, we think that, you know, boy, if we had a lot of money, life would be a lot better. <clears throat> but what makes life better is what we're going to look at this morning. So, Let's take a walk through the passage. Just a, just a moment of review. Paul has been before Agrippa, who's this very important king. And the king wants to talk to Paul. He wants to find out why the Jews are so upset with this guy and what's going on. So he invites him in. And so he invites Paul to tell him his story. And whenever Paul is invited to talk, he always tells his story. You know, you have a story. 
When someone invites you to talk, you should be able to share your story. And you know, our story is, if it doesn't include Christ, then it isn't really a very good story, is it? Because the only thing that makes our story meaningful and hopeful is the fact that Christ has intercepted our lives. So Paul talks about how Christ intercepted his life. And uh, just to back up to 14, he talks about this experience here. We fell to the ground. I heard a voice in Aramaic. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Now how many of you know what that means? That's kind of a strange little statement. But just to give you a picture here, back in those days when the oxen were going, they would take uh, stakes and they would sharpen them to a point and then they'd stick them into a board and that would be like right behind the oxen. Okay, you get the picture? And if the oxen wasn't cooperating, they would push the board up and those goads would um, poke into the back end of those oxen. And sometimes when the oxen didn't like what the owner was trying to do, he would kick against the goads. But you know what happens when you kick against the goads? It just goes in deeper and harder. And so here the Lord comes. I think it's kind of interesting. He says to Paul, it's kind of hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? In other words, you know, it's only going to hurt more, Paul, if you try and fight me. And, and Paul was fighting Christ. He was persecuting his church. And so here he is, and he is confronted here. And then he tells him what's, you know, this is in red in my Bible, which means these are the words of Christ here. And Christ tells Paul his mission. And we see it here, verses 16 and 17. Now, <clears throat> get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you, there's a purpose, to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me in that moment. And so, you know, the Lord is saying, you're going to testify to what you saw here on this road in this moment. And what you're going to see. Because you're going to see me appear to you again. And Paul had other occasions where Christ actually literally appeared to him. We saw that just a few weeks ago. 17, he says, I will rescue you from your own people, which is the Jews, and from the Gentiles. And we have seen that time and time and time again. That the Gentiles or the Jews are trying to kill him, take his life, throw him in prison, and it's one rescue after another because God here has a purpose for his life. And so here is the mission that's laid out. And then verse 18, here's where we're going to stop the car and get out and just look around for a little bit this morning. He says, I'm sending you to them. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn from their darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. <clears throat> so the first thing he says is, I'm sending you. Uh, there's no waiting around for Paul. God says, I am sending you out to them. And uh, that was Paul's life. He did not wait around. It was James Knudsen who wrote this article. I, it's one of my, I really, I've read this a number of times down through the years. But it's called, I Stand by the Door. It goes like this, I stand by the door, I neither go too far in, nor stay too far out. For the door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. 
Now there's no use my going away inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they are, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where a door ought to be. And they creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched groping hands feeling for a door. There must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men and women to find the door, the door to God. And the most important thing any man can do is to take hold of one of those blind groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to the man's own touch. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it, to open it, to walk in and find him. So, I stand by the door. And that's what Paul did. Uh, Paul went out all over Asia and into Europe and he responded to this call to go and, and help find that door. And so here in 18 we have the specific mission of Paul and by the way, this is the mission of the church. This is as much our mission as it was Paul's and let's just walk through it and just think a little bit about each of these things. First of all, he says, I'm sending you to people, number one, to help them open their eyes. Now, if we're to help people open their eyes, that means they obviously must be shut. 1 Corinthians 4.4 4 is a very insightful little passage. And uh, this is what it says. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. <coughs> you see it uh, up on the wall. And it is really a great passage for insight into the lives of people outside of the kingdom of God. It says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see. It says they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So we learn something very important here. The problem is not that people see Jesus and necessarily reject him, the problem for a lot of people is they don't see him. Because the God of this age has blinded their eyes. So unless their eyes are open, they, they can't see Jesus. So just do something with me for a moment. I know I always get nervous when people tell me to do things up front, but this is very easy. I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. <clears throat> okay, I just want you to close your eyes and you know, with your eyes closed, what do you see? Now, you have an imagination because you have seen things in your life. Keep your eyes closed, okay? But just imagine, you know, just imagine if this was your life. In fact, you have no idea what I'm doing up here right now. Oh, some of you peeked. <laughs> I knew that would happen. Get your eyes closed. Now, just open your eyes. <clears throat> and everything changes. Everything changes. And on a spiritual level, people that don't know Christ that are around in this community this morning, they're like, if you were walking around with your eyes closed, that is their ability to see spiritual things. So don't be surprised when they walk down strange roads or they bump into dead-end walls or you, they see things doing. The Scripture says that they're blind. The scripture says that their eyes are not open. You know, another example would be this morning... You know, if we could just... Did you know that an elephant just ran through this room? A and there's a soccer game going on right there, and there's a motocross race right in that corner, 
And my goodness, there's so much stuff going on. It's all right here. And if I could bring a receiver and a screen up here, we could see it, couldn't we? Those things are in the, they're right here in the room. If we had a receiver this morning, we could pull them out of the air and we could put them on the screen. People, you know what, what, what God is saying here to Paul is, Paul, I want you to give people the receiver. I want you to give them the Holy Spirit so they begin to perceive the spiritual realities that are all around them. And so the call here for Paul was to, was to go and to open the eyes of people. And then he says, as you open their eyes, you are to, you are to turn them from darkness to light. You are to turn them from darkness to light. Listen to these words from John chapter 3. This is a verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what he's done, that what he has done has been done through God. And so here he's, he's talking here about, about this light. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus said these words. When Jesus spoke to the people again, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So how do you walk in the light? You follow Jesus. Because Jesus never walks in the dark. And so when you find yourself in the dark, it meant somewhere along the way you parted from following Jesus. Because there is no darkness in him. And so Paul's call here in opening people's eyes is to call them to turn from darkness to light. It's a call to follow Jesus. It's also a call not to only to turn from darkness to light, but from the power of Satan to the power of God. Satan loves darkness. He is a nocturnal being. He rarely comes into the light, and when he does, he's always disguised. And so that is his nature. His power is very real. The statistics, I looked at two different studies. One was a Barna study and the other was another independent study. They both came out with almost exactly the same results. 62% of people in the United States do not believe in Satan. They do not believe he is real. They do not believe that he exists. 47% of the Christians that said they were Christians that were interviewed said they did not believe that Satan is real. Now, if you want a great scenario, if you're trying to attack and destroy something, if you want a great scenario, if you can exist right in the midst of the people you're destroying and they are not even aware that you're present, that is probably the greatest scenario you could ever want. And that is what we have going on uh, around us in our culture today. Ephesians, just look at a couple verses here that remind us of this truth. Ephesians 2, this is one of the clearest passages <coughs> just describing where we were and what God has done. 1 and 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is not working those who are disobedient. So Paul's call here is to, is to help these people who are under the ways of the world and 
living in disobedience, his call is to free them from the power of Satan. And of course, in chapter 6 and verse 12, we also have this verse. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so, here we have. For now, Satan is a god of this world. He has a lot of power through all of the things that he controls in this culture, through media, through everything else that is at his disposal. And Paul here has called people to turn away from that power. His power is seen in the fact that he is he's three, the Bible says he's three things. Number one is he's an accuser. Number two, it tells us that he is a deceiver. And number three, it tells us that he is a seducer. And he will try and accuse you, he will try and deceive you, and he will try to lure you away in any way he can. He is a seducer. And those are the roles that he plays in our culture today and seeks to play in our lives. So, Paul's here to open people's eyes so they can turn from darkness to light and they can turn from the power of Satan to God. And when that happens, there are two things that enter into our lives. These two things are priceless. Number one is, so that they may receive, number one, forgiveness of sins. Now, God is not offering a pain medication here for our guilt. He is not giving us something to take the edge off or to help us feel a little better. He is offering us cure. A complete cure to the problem of our sinfulness. And he's offering it in forgiveness. My greatest need, your greatest need, it's not a new job, it's not a new house, it's not a different car, it's not to get over whatever thing you're wrestling with in your life. My greatest need is not even food or water or air. My greatest need and your greatest need is forgiveness. And so, what does God do? He comes into this world to meet our greatest need. He comes to meet that need for forgiveness. And so, that's why I, you know, I love the story of the crippled man. You know the guy they, they lowered in through the ceiling? And if, if I were to ask you, what was the miracle Jesus did that day? You know, probably most of us would say, well, he healed the crippled man. That wasn't the, that wasn't the great miracle he did that day. In fact, Jesus asked the question in, in verse 23. I'll put it up on the wall. <clears throat> Which is easier? Here's the man. These guys have gotten him into the roof. He's been crippled. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? It's one miracle. Or to get up and walk? Which is easier? Well, look what Jesus picks. He picks the harder one. Verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Okay? He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So here's what Jesus does. He looks at this man, and he performs the greatest miracle, the greatest need in this man's life, even if he never walked again. He said, man, young man, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. And, oh, no, by the way, just so you know that I have the power to do that, why don't you get up and walk, too? Forgiveness of sin. God graciously gave him both he wanted to walk, but he needed to be forgiven. God gave him both that day. 
Frederick Buchner writes this <clears throat> in Hungering in the Dark. Those who believe in God can never, in a way, be sure of him again. Once they have seen him in a stable, they can never be sure where he will appear or to what lengths he will go to or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of man. If the holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were present in this least of all events, the birth of a peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound that the holiness cannot be present there too. And this means we are never safe. There is no place where we can hide from God. There's no place we are safe from His power to break into and recreate human hearts because it is just where he seems most helpless that he is most strong and just when we least expect him that he comes most fully. You know, many of you here will say it's true that I found God when I was at my worst. It was in that worst place where I least expected him that I found him. Certainly Paul would have said that. You know, here Paul at the prime of his persecution of the church God intercepts his life. And, and there is forgiveness. And then, lastly, he says, also, not only will they be forgiven, but they'll be receive a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, what do you, those, you know that little phrase, those who are sanctified in me, the word sanctified means purified, it means changed, it means set apart. And what he's really saying there is that that you will have a place among my people. He's talking, it's just another phrase for his people here. And he's talking about these people in his new kingdom. And so as you go through the Bible and, and you begin to read about what, what God is promising his people, let me just read a, a passage here from 1 Corinthians 15. It says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, and we will all be changed. For the imperishable must close itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will become true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So, notice what he says right in the very beginning, and you know, you can just breeze over this. It says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit, what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, that little phrase, as, as you go through the scripture, you find that little phrase over and over again. In Galatians, just another example, and here's kind of from a, a negative side of things, but in, in chapter 5, verse 19, notice what he says. He's talking about those who live this kind of life. Uh, verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And he lists all of them. You know, Witchcraft, impurity, envy, drunkenness, and all the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will never inherit the kingdom of God. You read through the Bible, keep talking about inheriting the kingdom of God, inheriting the kingdom of God. So what's he talking about? He says, not only are we forgiven, but we have a place in this eternal kingdom of God. I think one of my favorite passages is the end. And everybody loves a story that has a great ending. And this is from 
Revelation 21, verse 7. Listen to what it says. Revelation 21, 7. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God. He will be my son. Oh, what is that? What's all this? You back up. A new heaven. New earth. Holy city. A bride come down dressed for her husband. God's dwelling now among men. He'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. All the old order of things has all passed away. And so he writes, He who overcomes will inherit all of this. We have an eternal kingdom here that he is talking about and we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of that kingdom. So, Paul, I'm sending you to open the eyes of people who can't see so they can get out of darkness into the light so they can get away from the power of Satan and under the power of God so that they can receive this, these two incredible gifts of forgiveness and in this inheritance of this kingdom. That's the mission of Paul. That's the mission of the church. That is the mission of Bethany. You know, if we're not about that, then we're not about what God has called us to be about. One final verse. Colossians. And uh, this is like a paraphrase of Paul's mission. Colossians 1, 12-14. Follow along as I read it. I'd, I'd like to read... Uh, beginning with verse 12 from chapter 1 and then 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance, there it is, of the saints in the kingdom of what? Light. For He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, and in Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. An amazing paraphrase of Paul's mission that God gave to him. A couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a tragedy at one of the ballparks. Remember the, uh, remember the guy that fell out of the stands with his son there? Well, the, the, the baseball player that threw the ball up to him was Josh Hamilton. And it was interesting because I had just listened to Josh Hamilton's testimony the week before. And if you notice in the article, at least uh, on Yahoo, it said, Josh Hamilton, and it said this in the article, a born-again Christian. So obviously people have noticed a difference in his life. And uh, as I conclude this morning, I, I thought it would be interesting for us and encouraging, uh, again, just to hear another testimony and, and listen how God rescued him from the power of Satan uh, into the kingdom of his son.
Father, this morning we thank you for <clears throat> the power that you desire to exhibit in our lives. 
power to take us out of darkness with blinded eyes and to open them from darkness to light. Father, to take us from the power of Satan in our lives into your power at work within us. We thank you for the gifts of forgiveness and of that place in your eternal kingdom. And Lord, time and time again, we see that power at work in the lives of people. People like this young man we've just seen that was lost and whose father now been a recipient of what you have called us to be about as your church. And so, Lord, as we seek to truly be your church, uh, continue to remind us that there are a lot of blind people around us. The actions that they do are very explainable. They don't know you. They do not see you. They do not understand you. They do not have your power at work in their lives, and they are captives of the God of this age. Father, I would pray for anyone here today who, uh, who is still dead in terms of their own sins and their own transgressions who have never received the forgiveness of Christ in that place in that eternal kingdom. Lord, we thank you for that gift, that priceless gift that you offer each one of us. Father, thank you for your word today. We pray now as we receive this offering and, and conclude our service that, uh, Lord, you just bring to mind the things that you're saying to us today. Lord, bless the offering as we receive it now. And uh, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.